This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio Season 4, Episode 33. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 33 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihetten and Randy Ziganfus, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziganfus. And I'm Lynn Funihetten. Hello, Randy. Good afternoon. So today we're speaking with Brian Goodwin from McCrell International. And you may remember our conversation with Brian back in Season 2, Episode 37, when we discussed school transformation in several of McCrell's resources and white papers. In today's episode, we're going to discuss some of McCrell's latest work, Curiosity Works. Brian is president and CEO at McCrell International, a Denver-based nonprofit education research and development organization that serves educators across the U.S., the Pacific, and Australia. The mission of McCrell is to make a difference in the quality of education and learning for all through excellence in applied research, product development, and service. A former teacher and award-winning journalist, Brian has published four books, including Balanced Leadership for Powerful Learning, The Twelve Touchstones of Good Teaching, A Checklist for Staying Focused Every Day, Simply Better, Doing What Matters Most to Change the Odds for Student Success, and The Future of Schooling, Educating America in 2020. Brian has a fifth book from ASED coming out at the end of April, Unstuck, How Curiosity, Peer Coaching, and Learning Can Change Your School. He has a bachelor's degree from Baylor University and a master's from the University of Virginia. And when he's not speaking or writing, he enjoys spending time with his wife and three daughters in the Colorado high country on skis, foot, or by a warm fire. Welcome to the podcast again, Brian. Thanks, Randy and Lynn. It's great to be here. It's great to have you back. It was hard to believe two years ago. We had our original conversation. So right. uh, looking forward to talking about this topic of curiosity and the work yeah. that McCrell and you are doing. So uh, when we start, before we started recording today, you held up some of the, the resources that McCrell has post, uh, published recently uh, about curiosity. Tell us a little bit about uh, those resources and curiosity works and why uh, they're great resources for school leaders. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, as Lynn mentioned, we we published a lot of books over the years, really focusing on good instruction, good leadership. Um, you know, the books like Classroom Instruction That Works, School Leadership That Works, all that kind of, we like, we like the That Works titles. Uh, but over the last couple of years, uh, we've been analyzing a major school improvement effort that was occurring in Melbourne, Australia, in the northern suburbs, kind of a first tier suburbs of Melbourne, highly diverse student population, um, had a lot of uh, challenges at the time. Um, they were low performing when, when this whole effort started out. And they really focused on three things, literacy, numeracy, and curiosity. 
both for teachers and for students, and it got great results. Hmm. So we, we started paying attention to that effort. We mapped closely um, what we learned from what they were doing against research on brain science and motivation. And really what we're seeing, you know, the needs of modern workplaces where we want kids who are collaborative, where they're good communicators, where they're creative. And, and frankly, some of the concerns I think that people have about maybe where our society is heading. And it feels like our civil discourse is getting nastier and people are talking past one another. Um, so what we found is that curiosity really aligns well across the board, providing, you know, the creating kind of workplaces we need the kind of people we need, it, it supports life, happiness, and all these other really positive outcomes and job performance and everything. So really curiosity itself is, is so essential. And so for us, it's really kind of a yes and thing. We're saying yes, all of the things we've learned about good instruction, good leadership, and, and you know school performance are all still really true. And they're even more powerful when we design instruction and leadership around curiosity for students and for teachers. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about your inside out approach to school change and how curiosity fits into that model. Yeah, that was really a big thing. I think that when we first started talking to the folks in Melbourne, we realized they were taking a really different approach to how they were improving schools than what most um, you know, education systems have done around the world. And here in the U.S., especially for the last 20, 30 years, we've really focused on using national tests and standards and kind of mandates to, to force changes from the outside in, right? Getting, getting schools to say, you know, you've got to do these things. And, and, I, and I think, you know, a very top-down approach, right? And in some ways it worked, right? It, we, we, we got people's attention. Maybe there's kind of a shock treatment for some people. Those common measures were important, right? To say, what is it that we want our kids to learn? Let's pay attention to all kids. I think that was really important. Um, and so I think we saw some improvements with those external mandates, um, especially maybe for the lowest performing students in the lowest performing schools and systems. But what we've also seen is over time, those initial improvement efforts really had diminishing returns. They were followed by performance plateaus and a lot of schools got stuck. And we, you know, it's kind of Einstein's definition of insanity. We can't keep doing the same things over and over again and expect different results. I think we're seeing also, you know, like uh, so much you see in surveys of teachers, they have a lot of, um, you know, they're talking about they've never had more pressure. Their rates of stress are the highest, like in 25 years. Same thing for school principals. They're saying the job is just too onerous. There's too much stuff to try to do. Um, a lot of dissatisfaction among educators. You see a lot of people leaving the profession and they oftentimes cite workplace conditions. And you all know that. Um, I think we also see that sometimes the top-down pressure has taken a toll on students. Um, you know, you've seen students uh, walking out of tests and so forth, but also when you look at longitudinal studies of kids, the, the longer they stay in school, the less intrinsically motivated they are to learn. We hear a lot of teachers really concerned about student engagement. How do I, how do I get this, how do I get kids excited about learning? How do I get them to want to come to school, you know, on a snow day, right? Because <laughs> they're so excited about what's, what's happening. Um, I know that sounds far-fetched, but it can happen, right? Um, so the idea is like, how do we, to get unstuck, we really need to change our paradigm, our way of thinking about, about schools. And the inside-out approach is, is let's start with let's, what's more inside-out than student motivation, intrinsic motivation, but then also get teachers more involved, not just kind of in a faux engagement sort of thing, but really empowering them to say, where does the school need to go? Um, developing plans, developing their own professional learning plans. And when you do this right, we've seen schools can really make lasting gains 
um, to improve, you know, climate satisfaction, you know, school school climate, job satisfaction, and most importantly, student achievement. So it's it's a uh, it's almost a you know an upside down way of how we've been thinking about improvement, but yet it's the way that really is most satisfying for people and the most effective too. I'm making a connection to um, you saying you talking about people wanting to get out of the profession and we're seeing that in here in Pennsylvania, we, we have seen that our certification uh, for new teachers has dropped so significantly. Um, We're struggling to even get substitutes into our, into our classrooms. Um, People just are not as interested in, in the career of education. And, you know, if people were more curious and had the opportunity to have more autonomy over their curiosity, um, you know, how could that change our, our people who are motivated to be here? You know, how does that change their will to be here um, and develop the skills that you're talking about to be able to cultivate curiosity across the organization? Yeah, you know, absolutely nationwide, you know, the statistics that we see are that the number of students who are enrolled in pre-service programs has declined by like 250,000 students like, mm-hmm. and from a high of like 600,000. So that, that's a huge drop. And it's got to be because teachers are probably telling their high school kids, I don't think you want to do this profession. And that's really sad because, you know, you step back and go, well, what could be a better profession to have than being a teacher and changing kids' lives? And yet when teachers leave the profession, they oftentimes say it's because I lost any kind of control over what I was trying to do. Like, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I, I came into this job to be a professional and to make professional choices and I don't get to make those anymore. So that's really what the inside out idea is to say, hey, let's look at research. Let's look at ways that that what good teaching looks like and connect that with, let's, let's also look at engagement and how could we together as peers create classrooms where kids can be engaged, where they can be curious and frankly, where we can be curious as professionals. Mm-hmm. So I have a curiosity <laughs> um, related to the inside, the inside out approach. And I think that, you know, one of the challenges from a leadership perspective is how do you, how do you help those on the inside take ownership of that shift of that change? Um, you know, is it too easy to just have somebody else take that ownership to to stay with the top-down approach like i'll just follow the mandates and i'll just follow the rules and it's different though that when i i take ownership of that in as part of that inside approach so as a leader how do you inspire those um to to move ahead with that inside approach yeah that's a really good question one of the other correlates of curiosity by the way is that good leaders are actually curious themselves Mm -hmm. And so what does that look like? Well, it, it, you know, it, it's um, one thing could be presenting people with the data. And instead of saying, I have all the answers, and this is a hard thing for leaders, right? Because we feel like we're in that role because we're supposed to have all the answers. And really what you ought to have is all the questions, have good questions to ask. And it's this kind of mix of like a little bit of confidence and humility at the same time. In fact, I was, you know, some of the studies of like effective leaders, that's what they have is this blend of confidence and humility they're humble enough to say, I don't have all the answers. And they're confident enough to be able to say, I don't have all the answers, right? Um, and so you might think about how do we have an inquiry-driven approach for schools? We should look at our data and go, well, you know, what are the bright spots here? What does that mean? And what things do we do well um, that we might replicate? Or maybe some guiding principles we already have. So, uh, you know, you, you might think about the quality or the performance of, a, uh, of an organization is, 
is almost always directly correlated with the quality of the questions that are being asked inside the organization. So I think for leaders, it's like, what are the questions I want to ask? And I try to do this for myself, frankly, when I have my one-on-one -on -one meetings with my, my own team, I try to bring questions instead of like mandates, right? Because mm -hmm. I really want, we ought to all be thinking through these, these challenges together. That's not to say we don't do the, the usual what's on your plate, but there's also like, hey, let's try to think more deeply about this. So it's, you know, and I'll talk more about what classrooms are going to look like, but we want teachers asking higher order questions in classrooms, right? So we ought to have principals asking those same kinds of higher order questions to the what if questions that are equally important to the, did you get your job done today? That kind of thing. So as we want to transform our schools to be more innovative, it's actually a different kind of leadership too, than yeah. that the leadership can't mirror that top down. It has to mirror sort of that inside out too, that at, at the leadership level, really um, cultivating those voices from within to, to own that and to, to embrace it and, and move things forward. Absolutely. Yeah. There, we, we talk about, you know, as a leader, sometimes you have to make that pivot from being directive to mm -hmm. being empowering. There are times to be directive. Certainly when we have to get things done, we, get, we had a time, time crunch, but it's, you know, we also want to be empowering as leaders where we're going to spend more time giving people the ability to work together and to collaborate and asking those really good questions too. So let's take it to the classroom level. What yeah. does curiosity look like in a classroom? You mentioned, you know, your uh, Melbourne, Australia examples, yeah. or maybe some of the districts that you've been working with. Yeah. So uh, first of all, um, it is a process. And that's one of the things that we discovered is that you don't just get there overnight. Um, and we've been mapping out for teachers, like, how do I start to move from a classroom where, you know, I think when all of us start off as teachers, where the, you know it's very much a, a teacher-owned student experience classroom. We're doing all the work, you know, to design the lessons and so forth. But we want to move toward where we have a classroom that's more student-owned and teacher-guided. That doesn't happen overnight. It create it requires really increasingly sophisticated practices as teachers. And the way we develop expertise together is by collaborating. You, you can't force expertise into somebody's head. You know, we 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 develop expertise by um, through our, our own inquiry. But let me just describe a little bit more what it looks like in a classroom itself. And so, you know, it can start really simply with teachers just paying more attention to how they launch a lesson. You know, have I sparked students' curiosity? You could use things like mysteries and paradoxes and pu puzzles. But I think so often we get things backwards. You know, we're like, turn, in page, turn to page 42 in your books, let's get started. And we've missed that whole opportunity. Or we're like Ben Stein, right? The whole, you know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like the woolly mammoth is part of the anyone, anyone elephant family. And instead of like, there's a, there's a huge mystery here, right? Uh, and so curiosity thinking would be saying, you know, like let's involve kids in the mystery. Like what happened to the woolly mammoth? How could this powerful creature just disappear, right? So you might start with that question. And then what teachers do in the, and we found there's a lot about the questions they ask, the quality of the questions they ask, that can also keep curiosity alive, right? You continue to ask good questions, higher order questions, that really make students think and engage in dialogue about what they're learning. So you might say, for example, you know, imagine we, we took a time machine 10,000 years back into the past, and now let's look out the classroom window, what would we see? What, would, what, what might it look like? And really getting kids to engage in their learning. But ultimately, I think it's about getting kids to own their own learning because they're asking their own burning questions, right? Their own essential questions like, could we bring the woolly mammoth back to life? 
um, you know, that, I mean, you think about that, that could lead to a really inter interesting inquiry-based learning process where you learn about DNA and cloning and all that stuff and, and, and ethics too, right? You know, well, if we could bring it back, back to life, should we, right? So um, <laughs> an important point to make here is that the teacher still has an important role in all of this. This isn't just letting kids run amok and do their own thing, but it's shifting to be more of that, you know, kind of guide by the side, um, the coach, the facilitator, the, the questioner in chief, if you will. So thinking about, you know, how I'm, I'm going back to the leaders, because we have to model that with our leaders, our leaders have to model it with their teachers. So teachers are taking the time to launch the lesson, like you said. Yeah. Um, right. And, you know, what are the practices that we can do first to model it, but then also to give a little more autonomy? Um, you know, we have pacing guides, and we have all these out external pressures that you sort of alluded to at the yeah. beginning of the conversation um, to say, yeah, you, you know what, you have enough time, take the time and, and ask those questions instead of starting with open your book to page, whatever you said. 42. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so what are some of the ways that we as, as leaders um, might spark some curiosity in our learners, both our younger learners, our students, but also our, our adult learners, our teachers and other leaders? Yeah. And as it turns out, it's the same kind of strategies. But one of the things when you look at the research on curiosity, so what does spark our curiosity? It, um, you know, it's things like I mentioned before, like mysteries or suspense or controversy or cognitive conflict, which is this idea that, you know, that when when you learn something that maybe conflicts with what you or contradicts your current understanding of things like, you know, here in Colorado, when winds are blowing down out of the mountaintops, it actually warms the, the land below, which might conflict with, you know, like, wait, shouldn't it be cold in the mountaintops? And how does that work? But those are the kind of things that we can we can start with those kind of controversy conditions, there's actually good studies that show that when you pose a controversy to kids, they stay more engaged. There was this famous experiment where they, they had kids um, learning about the wolf by saying, you know, by introducing the, the, con the conflict over whether the wolf should be listed as an endangered species or not. And so they'd say, here's the rancher's point of view, here's the environmentalist point of view, and kids were actually apt to stay in from research or from re research, from recess, to learn more about the wolf because of the controversy condition. So if you think about it as a leader now, you could use the same strategies. You might say, let's start with our school data and let's look at it through the lens of curiosity. Instead of finger wagging, right? We're gonna say, well, where should we explore more? Are there, you know, are there bright spots here? And I heard a great story about a school actually up in Michigan that was kind of stuck. They were, you know, a little staid, um, things had gotten stagnant. And the leader asked the question like, well, what things, what things do we do well here in this school? And somebody finally pointed out, well, we have a good marching band. You know, our marching band always wins these state contests. And so it might seem kind of silly, but it's like, well, well, let's think about that. How did we create such a good marching band? What is it that we learned in that process that we could apply somewhere else? So really it's about getting teachers to engage in their own inquiry. So and the things that were happening in Melbourne over time, one of my co-authors was an assistant principal in Melbourne, and she was saying it was so fascinating to watch teachers go, well, wait, I'm noticing that they, they had common formative assessments. And the teachers would say, well, your kids all got that concept. And instead of saying, well, you must have smarter kids, they would say, wait, what did you do differently than what I, I'm doing? And so it's kind of also creating a growth mindset for teachers to say, if you're struggling, that's, that's an opportunity to learn. It's this whole Kaizen idea. And I think that's really important for leaders too, 
to, we talk about shifting the focus from your data meetings. So it's not data as a window where I'm gazing out on somebody else doing something wrong, but it's data as a mirror where I'm saying, okay, what does it say about us? Let's reflect. Let's use these data to reflect on our own practices. And as obvious as that sounds, that, that is, and, and you know, may, may sound like common sense, it's not that common hmm. that people actually look at the data and go, well, wait a minute, it should say something about us. It's the same idea you want teachers to go, mm-hmm. you know, instead of saying, boy, the kids blew that test, right? They should be saying, well, wait, I, clearly I blew something in my, you know, my um, presentation of the information or the way I designed the learning experiences if so many kids did poorly on the test. Mm-hmm. So it's really helping teachers. Um, some, some principals describe it as kind of like it's, it's Vegas. Mm-hmm. Like what happens here in the data team meeting, stay in the data team mm-hmm. meeting, it's all okay. And we're going to use this as an opportunity to to learn and grow together. So co-designing the learning opportunities and co-owning, but also co-owning the results. Yeah, that that was really a powerful thing in Melbourne where what they've done is they they use instructional rounds to look at, okay, let's find class. Let's find our bright spots. Let's find classrooms where kids are engaged. What's happening there that's different. And from that, they extracted, they call them six theories of action. And it was things like, well, the teachers seem to be creating more challenging learning tasks. They're thinking more about what I want kids actually doing. So then they, they created rubrics that would help teachers and teacher teams say, well, where are we on these rubrics? They were not evaluative. It was really about moving from that teacher-directed student experience classroom to one that's more student-owned. And that teachers could choose which practice do we need to work on. Some would say, well, actually, right now it's feedback is our biggest issue. Or maybe it's, uh, we're not asking good higher order questions. We want to work on that together. So the teachers had some autonomy in with their own professional learning within the, the, the framework of like, but these are good practices. So it wasn't like, let's focus all on our bulletin boards because that's probably not going to move the needle. Let's focus on the things we know are most important or getting kids to own their learning goals or whatever it might have been. So, um, and then by working together, they could be sort of each other's accountability buddies, if you were, if you will. They would, you know, observe each other's classrooms, give good, give good feedback. Um, so really, it's about, yeah, like you mentioned, then um, letting teachers be self-directed in their own learning. So one of my takeaways from today is, it sounds like curiosity is one of the keys to this transformation that we all um, wish for within our schools. Yeah, it is. You know, and. Um, the research on this is also pretty telling. A couple of things I'll point out. They, Susan Engel is a researcher up at Williams College in Massachusetts. She has studied classrooms and found she could walk into a kindergarten classroom and see lots of episodes of curiosity. Like kids, individual kids, would demonstrate up to five episodes of curiosity over a two-hour period. By the time she got to the fifth-grade classrooms, individual students were demonstrating less than two, sometimes no episodes of curiosity in a two-hour period. So, and she, the more she observed classrooms, she said, you know, it's, I could, she felt really sympathetic and empathetic to the teachers, understanding that they're like, I've got a pacing guide and there's no time for your teachable moment, Billy, <laughs> you know, good question. I'm going to move on. So it's, it's, um, we know that actually the longer kids stay in school, the less curious they are. The other thing that's interesting about curiosity is that I'm sure that if teachers are listening to this podcast, they're probably saying, yes, I want to do curiosity. But I've done, you know, what they find is when you ask teachers, what outcomes do you want for kids? They rarely list curiosity. But if you put it on a list, they all say, that's, that's what I want my kids to have. So I think because of what if, what's happened over the last 20 to 30 years, 
it's no longer top of mind for us that, but I think we'd all come back and say, when, when did you want your kids going off to school in the morning and being curious? And when did you want kids coming into your classroom being curious? And, and if we could get that right, wouldn't everything else get um, easier and a whole lot more joyful too? Mm-hmm. They also make connections to the real world and the sort of massive problems and challenges that we face. If you're uh, looking at like the UN uh, sustainable goals, yeah. big, massive challenges that are going to need lots of curiosity. And our kids yeah. are going to be the ones that solve those challenges mm-hmm. and come up with uh, the avenues and the ways to solve those problems. Yeah, uh, yeah we're yeah. going to need curiosity for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the higher performing companies are the ones where there's a higher level of curiosity inside the, the companies where they say, how do we keep improving and what's our own mm-hmm. continuous improvement cycle here too? So business owners, I think, also recognize the, the importance of having employees who are curious mm-hmm. and, also, and they have better job performance too. So that's always a good thing. So we'll wrap this up with our last question for you, uh, Brian. What's next for you? What are you working on that you'd like to share? Maybe a, a sneak peek about the book that's coming out. Um, sure, yeah. Well, we've got a book that's coming out in April that will describe this whole, it has a narrative, a story about how this all worked in Melbourne with some practical guidance as well. The other thing that we're working on that should be coming out about the same time as this podcast is released, the more we dug into an inside-out approach, the closer and closer we got to a student-centered approach to learning which meant that we started thinking more and more about students' brains and how they actually work and how we, how we take information that's out there floating in our, in our environment and get it to long-term memory. Because after all, that's what we're really trying to accomplish in education. So we've been looking closely at the science of memory and building a very simple, practical, step-by-step model that teachers can use in their, in their classrooms to create learning experiences that, that you know allow learning to stick with students and so curiosity is a part of that it, it basically we have to keep curiosity alive throughout the entire process that's all coming out into a new free white paper that'll be titled student learning that works it should be out very soon and really what we really try to do is simplify the science of learning and brain science all that stuff which i know is often for teachers so highfalutin and esoteric there's not much thing to do with it but we've turned that into a really practical approach that teachers can use to design lessons and units and create learning experiences that will both challenge and engage students. So look for that to come out soon. Great. Well, thank you for taking the time to share uh, that resource with us. And we will link that in our show notes, um, the white paper that you're referencing. Um, And we also link some other resources in our show notes, um, learning more about curiosity work, some of the books, our listeners can find your Twitter uh, handle, both you and McCrell, and a couple of other uh, links to books and resources that you have uh, work to develop in the last few years. Excellent. So thanks so much, Randy and Lynn. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciate your energy and the the good work <laughs> that McCrell's doing to push the edges of this conversation, so we can actually transform education. So thank you. Thanks. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about, with the idea of provoking some conversation. This episode's question: How might curiosity enhance your efforts to transform your school or district? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources that Lynn mentioned, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for Season 4, Episode 33. That's all for now. We'll be back soon with another conversation featuring another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.